drivel. Drivel means nonsense. What is going on? Welcome into Project Drivel. I am your host, Tony Tucker. This is a just-in-case edition, uh, which I think the Project Drivel thing might be done, and I might just be doing just-in-case. I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. I might just start gearing all of the podcasts and everything I do on the sports side to the Warzone Sports Network and try and create and bring more traffic over there. Um, but this it's not about that. This is about the just in case the the podcast for my kids talking to them, Rex, Lion, and Nala in the future, and sharing it with the people along the way. A little time capsule of sorts. Today I'm going to get into uh, the jury duty experience I just had. Never went this far in the process. It was very interesting. And which reminded me of my day in court when I was a young lad. When I was a young lad and I had my day in court. So, but before we get there, just real quick update. Everything's going well for the birthday. I'm sure there's something I will be forgetting for the parties, the dual party, the princess and the cougar party that we'll be throwing at the house this Saturday. Lots of people coming by, excited for that. Going to eat good food and enjoy time with family and friends, whoever comes over, whoever feels, you know, safe enough to engage and enjoy the company of friends and family. So today, on the way home from school, you know, it's nice. I get to walk walk the dog, pick up the kids. Then we walk through the park. We talk about the day. It's really a beautiful thing. Little breeze, not too hot. Dogs chasing squirrels. Kids are telling stories about school, friends, the crazy stuff that happens in third and fourth grade. A lot of fun. You know, I think, I do think Lion, however, is starting to to develop a little bit of a what's what's the right way to put this line you are developing a a little they used to call it being a ham attention which is fine i like it i like attention too or i wouldn't you know perform and get in front of a, a camera and a microphone I like to talk and engage people but lined at this thing at school where he was like talking to his friends about something and he's like oh but you can't you know, but you can't smash that apple on your head. And he's like, oh, I could smash this apple on my head. Yeah, I could crush this apple. And he took the apple apparently and just like crushed it off the side of his head to like bust the apple, which is, that's just showing off, which is fine. It's, it's fun. It's harmless. You know, as long as it stops there, I told him, you know, it's not like, you know, oh yeah, I could smoke all this PCP in one night. You know, you don't want to escalate to that. You don't want to escalate to, what? You don't think I could jump my dad's minivan over this gap? Over this canyon? I don't want that. Smashing an apple on the head, it's fine. I told him, you know, I, I talked about him with it. Like, it's okay to have fun and, you know, do foolish things when you're young and make your friends laugh. Like, that's part of growing up. I don't want to take away all of that 
innocence and fun. But I also don't want him to end up like, I told him a story about a former college hockey player from my hometown, this guy named Phil Plantier, who had already signed to play with the New York Islanders. Life is going great. He goes out, he's drinking with the, you know, the guys from the D3 football team that were all going to end up being coaches and gym teachers and whatever. And they kind of egged him on. They did this dumb thing where they put football helmets on and they run at these old lockers and they try to smash him in. Well, uh, Phil ended up getting drunk, put the football helmet on. He ends up hitting sort of the, the column that connects in between the lockers and it doesn't give at all. Obviously, it's more solid in that area than just sort of the thin locker material that you can kind of dent with your fist. Even he hits that fractures some stuff in his spine ends up he walks again, but he ends up sort of like temporarily paralyzed, ruins his hockey career and never, never gets to play professional hockey. And I told him, like, that's the extreme end of it. Don't let somebody bait you into doing something dumb that will change your life forever. But if you're just smashing an apple off the side of your head for fun, hopefully that doesn't that doesn't go wrong and you don't get addicted to the idea of like people daring you not to do things that go from being foolish to harmful. Big difference between the two. So we had that fun talk. This is going to be a very Lion-centric episode because then Lion was telling me, he's like, oh, we played football today. And I was like, oh, you did? How'd that go? And he's like, well, the other kids played football, and I just walked laps. And I was like, oh, that's mis- that's gross. Yuck. I just The idea that you were going to offer me to like play catch with a football or just walk around in a circle in the sun, ugh. I, you just do it. But I think that he didn't want to do it because he doesn't know how to throw a football that good. He doesn't know how to catch that good. He doesn't want to look. He's starting to become aware. Lion is very aware. Lion, you're very perceptive. You're, you're kind of always watching and analyzing things. You know, that's a trait that I have. It's a good thing, but it's also a curse being sort of over observant and aware, aware of what's going on around you and what other people are doing, but then overanalyzing it as if you know what is going on at all times. You don't. And it's a habit I've been trying to break as I, as I get older. But just go and have fun. Try and play. Try and get out there. So we got home. He got a snack. We got a couple of the footballs. We got the really soft, like plushy one. And then we got one that's like, it's still sort of a, it's like a Nerf one. It's a little harder, but it's not hard. Because I think you, you got to learn if we get the plushy one and you catch one on the finger, it's not going to jam it too bad. But, you know, when you're first learning how to play, like when I was first learning how to play, I used to play the the rubber footballs. You catch one of those in the finger and it, get, it gets jammed and it hurts. And he got his finger jammed when we started using the Nerf one, but not enough to deter him. But we just went out in the yard and, and played. I had him run a little slant route probably dropped it 13 times before he caught one. So excited. Taught him how to spike the ball properly. And it, it, it definitely was one of my goals this summer, you know, with the house, the yard, the park, that not, not that far away, to teach my kids how to do things athletically, right? Got the bag up in the garage. Teach the kids how to properly throw a punch, how to throw a ball, how to hit a ball 
how to shoot a basketball, how to dribble. They don't need to be professionals, but it is fun and good to have athletic skills and ability and be athletic and be able to, you know, join an intramural team or something like that. They're not going to be athletes like none of you guys are going to be athletes like that. Maybe e-game athletes someday, which I don't fully understand how that works, but I don't know. I think they call them e-athletes, like entertainment, electronic game athletes, whatever. I don't know. Whatever. Moving on. But I do think that there is good things that can be, that can come from learning and how to play sports confidence. If somebody asks you to throw a ball and you don't know how to do it and you just kind of like underhand it or toss it back, it's, it just feels kind of weak. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm being old school on this, but I want my kids to know how to throw and catch a ball. They should, and they shouldn't be afraid of it either. So we're going to work on that. We had fun in the front yard. Even when he was done, he was like, that's a lot of fun. I'm like, yeah, it was a lot of fun. The end. We're, we're doing more of that kind of stuff. And we have the space in the area. Like, we could have done it. We could have went and found a park. But it's hot and gross and smelly and miserable in the valley. But now I have none of those excuses. A beautiful life and a beautiful home and a beautiful neighborhood. You know, three times beautiful. At some point, it becomes gorgeous. Gorgeous life I have. And I'm, I'm ecstatic to be able to share it with all three of you. So we're going to be doing that, all of them. I know Rex is going to be the most miserable about it. Rex is like, oh, I've made it through 14 years without having to do any of this crap. Oh, I don't really want to do it. But you will. You'll learn it, and you'll have fun, and maybe someday you'll use it just messing around in college, or you go to Europe, and you know how to kick a soccer ball or something like that, or you know, you decide to play a game of horse with somebody, and you know how to properly shoot a basketball. It's important. So then, this was the highlight. I don't even want to say the highlight of like the since the last time that I spoke to you guys, but I had jury duty. And I've had jury duty, jury summons in the past. They herd you in like cattle into a big giant room with 150, 200 people, and you just sit there hoping that they won't call you. You know, I remember the first time I went there with nothing to do, and it was the longest four hours. Like just staring out the window with a magazine. The next time I came back, I think I had like borrowed your Uncle Johnny's iPod, which by the time you're listening to this, you're going to be like, oh, what? Like those little things? Oh, those don't even, I just push a button, you know, on the side of my head now and just any music, anything I want, just directly, directly downloads into my brain and I enjoy it. But iPods, it's like a Walkman. Look up that. Google that. Is Google still a thing when you're listening to this? But <laughs> we, uh, this time I get called in and I didn't even want jury duty. I had a big event last Friday and I'm sitting there at the dinner table and you're listening to the voice message on whether or not you have to report Friday morning. It's Thursday at like seven. And I'm just so angry when they say you have to come in tomorrow but not only do I not come in tomorrow, I have to be in downtown LA, 45 miles away from my house at two in the afternoon. And I am supposed to be on the air for a live show at five. I'm just thinking it's almost impossible that I'm even going to be able to make this happen anymore. I'm upset. I show up and I get in, the, in, in there and they're like, and I'm already part of the jury selection process. 
I was like, I've never been to the past the door where they take you into the courtroom and they sit you down and they, and they start asking you questions like personal stuff on these. And they had me fill this thing out, all these questions. And they're like, this will be public record and whatever else. And it's like, I don't want this being public record. Like I didn't know what the case was for in case I was going in there and I'm not going to discuss the case, but in case I was going in there for like somebody who murdered somebody, I don't want them knowing where my wife works or what company she works for. They're asking you, do you have kids? Yeah, I got kids, but I'm not telling you their names or ages or genders or whatever. I'm not sharing that stuff with you because I don't know what I'm getting into. And we go in and I'm like, okay, come on, just dismiss me. I don't want to be here. You know, like I was joking with chair. I was like, you know, what would really get me out of here quickly is if I just came with like a MAGA hat, like a make America great hat on and just sat here and was like, nobody wants that guy around. Yeah, I don't know if they'd buy that I was really into it or just doing it to try and get out. But I didn't obviously do that. But it, I get in there and the judge at the end, she goes, okay, I need a sidebar with both attorneys. She goes into the back and then comes back and hits you with one of those fake things where it's like you're in it. She goes, all right, everybody is dismissed. And I was like, oh. And you get that feeling of joy and I'm about to hit my feet. And before I can fully lock my knees out and stand up and like head for the door, she's like, and everybody is ordered to be back here at 1030. And I'm just like, whoa, went from like, all right, going to make my show. If I get on the road, I'll be home by 430. And she's like, everybody back here at 1030 on Monday morning. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, judge. And now I have questions. I got kids to take care of. What do you mean be back here at 1030? How long are we going to be here for? Can, you know, can my wife switch to a night shift? Who picks up my kids from school? How does this, you're telling me the case may run for four to 10 days? I didn't even know I was on the jury yet. She cleared all that up real quick with a, sounds like a personal problem. And no, Mr. Tucker, you are not on a jury. You are part of jury selection and you'll be back here on Monday. And I could tell in the tone of her voice that there won't be any more questions from you. Because I would like to get home, take this robe off, and and just be a human being. And we all have stuff going on, so suck it up. So I come back in on Monday thinking I'm going to talk to the lady who works, who's sort of the assistant. She's the, you know, like the courtroom manager. Funny, got a good personality. I'm going to go over, just kind of talk with her. And, and I told, they all knew that I had kids. And so I go in there. And she's nowhere to be found. It's just a six foot four bailiff who looks like he's been working out at Gold's Gym for like 30 years. And he's just standing there like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, okay. Borderline Sam Elliott standing in front of me without the facial hair is uh, not giving me the vibe that he wants to help me figure out how to get out of jury duty. We all get called in. And we're in there, and now I'm really angry because on Friday there was 15 people. Now we're down to eight. I'm like, how did those other seven people or eight people get out of this? And I didn't. So we're sitting there for a minute, and they start asking a bunch of random questions. That's the other thing, too, because they're doing jury selection. So they're like, all right, if A happened and B happened, and how would you feel about this, that, and whatever? And I was just like answering the questions honestly. You know, and like one of them, it's like, 
All right, uh, Mr. Tucker, I know you have a bunch of kids. It's Friday. You're the only person there who is in the room thinking it's not guilty. You know, would you would you just agree with the other 11 jurors so you could go home? And it's like, well, no. What kind of human being would I be if I did that? If I thought the guy was not guilty, but I could go home if I said he was guilty? Like, I wouldn't want anybody to do that to me if I was sitting in the chair the defendant's chair and somebody sitting there going, Oh yeah, you, I just, I need to get home so I can watch the Lakers game and eat dinner with my family. Guilty. I don't want anybody thinking like that with my fate in their hands. So no, I wouldn't do that. And just all sorts of crazy questions. It was really like weird and intense. And then I thought they were going to let us go again. And then she dismissed us for like a two hour lunch in downtown, which basically looks like Mad Max. It's like this crazy apocalyptic world down there with, you know, like our homelessness has gotten out of control and graffiti and trash. It's like, when was the last time anybody picked up anything down here? Can we get a beautification team in Los Angeles, please? Can we get a group of people, you know, who may be looking for work and let's pay them like 22 bucks an hour to just go around and clean up the streets of Los Angeles? A beautification team. 500 people and we'll just disperse them all over. They'll remove graffiti and, you know, clean up trash. Just make the city look nice. again. the downtown just looks and smells and it's, it's just horrible, but I'm down there for two hours. I made the best of it. I went to Langer's deli and got myself a pastrami sandwich. Cost me like 25 bucks, <laughs> but whatever. So we get back into the court and now a bunch of other people have joined us because they're trying to really narrow down the jury because the trial is supposed to start on Tuesday. And we're in there. And I'm like, okay. And so they do this thing where they move up to the seat, and they're like, you sit in this number chair. And the first one, and they say, all right, uh, you know, how does the defense, you know, do they accept the jury as is for, you know, juror, you know, whatever. And they're like, I would like to dismiss this juror. And they're like, all right, juror number, whatever, you're dismissed. And they're moving up. And they're moving up. And then they get to my number, and then there's a pause, and she's looking through papers. And I'm like, what? What's happening? Why are you stopping? You're dismissing all these people. And then she's like, okay, take the chair. Juror number 42. I'm like, whew, that's me. And so I get there, and the defense is like, we are good with the jury as president. And I was like, oh, no. And I just looked over at the prosecution, and he's like, we would like to ask that juror number 42 is dismissed. And I was just like, no objection. Nobody's saying anything. And the judge is like, all right, thank you for your service, juror 42. You were dismissed. And I was just like, oh, oh man. I pray for all the best things for that young man uh, who's in trial and things are going on. And, you know, whatever the outcome is, I hope that he learns from the situation and has a really tremendous life. And who's ever serving on that jury, thank you for it. I was just so glad it wasn't me because Cherry and I had no idea how we were going to get out of this. Like how we were going to make this work. Was she going to have to take all these vacation days and waste vacation so I could jury do jury duty? And then they're like, oh, well, you make 15 bucks a day. <laughs> So I make one seventy eighth of what my wife would make in a day or something like maybe one ninetieth. What does that do? 
it wasn't even necessarily about the money or anything else. It was the fact that I don't want to inconvenience or even derail all the success and wonderful things that my wife is doing in her career because of jury duty. So I got to figure out how to fill the forms out better and just say like, yo, I'm a homemaker. Uh, I got three kids to take care of. If you guys want to hit me up in like eight years or so, when my daughter has a driver's license and everybody's cool, we can talk then. But right now it's just not happening. Even six years from now, she can, she's old enough to take care of herself and not take care of herself, but she could like figure out how to get a ride from a friend or hang out at school or something, you know? Take an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi home. Worst case scenario, if I get jury duty. In that time. In six years. Not right now. Nolly, you can't do that. I don't even I don't even like the idea of any of my kids in an Uber or a Lyft. Even though I used to drive them. I just don't want them in the car with strange people. But yeah, that was jury duty. It was very interesting, though. Like... Just watching these professionals do their job, I will say that I was very impressed with the wording of the the questions from from the def- like the kid had a good defender, and I wondered if she was a public defender or not. Like I almost kind of wanted to get her name and look up her stats and see if she works for a big law firm or, you know, like if she is in the public defender's office and the prosecutor. Like they were on point. They were the questions and everything they were asking. I was like, it was very interesting. I don't want to do it again, but it was a very cool experience to see how that whole behind the curtain thing shakes out and how serious and intense everybody takes it. Like even me, like I'm a little expressive sometimes when people say things like they contradict themselves or they say like foolish things my face tends to not be able to hide what I'm thinking. You know, like he even called me out one time. He's like, Hey, juror number 42, you, uh, you know, you raised your eyebrows when juror number 37 said that. And I was like, well, cause <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. And he's like, Oh yeah, no. Okay. All right. And I was just like, all right, Tony, just keep a straight face, chew your gum, stare at the wall, keep moving forward. You just got to make it through this. But, Oh, let me finish up real quick, take three, four minutes and talk about when I was younger, we lived, this was over on, when we lived on the Ridge Street apartments and there was a a situation, we had like a little hill in our, not even a hill, like a little slope outside of our apartments and there was rocks in there at one point before they had put the grass in. And for whatever reason, I was little, I just used to like to take rocks and throw them and see if I could hit cars as they pass by. And I didn't really want to hit the car. I wanted to see how close I could come without hitting it because I knew I could hit it. They're going 25 miles an hour and I got a rope for an arm. Not so much at 38 now to shape. But when I was younger, I could throw rocks, baseball, football. It didn't matter. I could just chuck things very hard, very far. But there was like an old beater truck coming. And so I decided I was going to like try and skip one underneath it because it was a little off the ground. And so I tried to skip it. I was like seven years old. I skipped the rock and it hits the bottom of the truck and he just throws this thing in park, this old guy. And I see him put it in park 
And Johnny and I panic. We run. I think my friend Brian Johnson, who passed away uh, at some point in the last five to ten years, really, really nice kid, lived upstairs with his mom, Kathy. And we booked it into the building, back inside the building. And I was like hiding and running. But I should have just went back into my apartment and hid is what I should have done. But I didn't. I thought I got away from the guy. And I ran all the way up to the building and then down the other side of the stairs came back through and as i was coming out the door i like ran out and the guy was there and he just grabbed me by my arm and somebody had gotten like a friend's mom and my mom came out and he's like he's like why'd you do that you hit my car you ruined it you ruined my truck and i was like what do you ruined it dude it was a rock like the size of a golf ball how am i gonna ruin a truck with a rock like you're insane. And I knew his kid. I had gone to young fives with his son or like pre-K or head start or something like that. She's an old dude. Probably smelled like booze. Loser. Grabbing, grabbing a seven-year-old kid by the arm because he threw a rock at you. So then my mom's mad. She's cursing up a storm. This guy's, I'm suing you for a new truck and all this stuff. We're like, yeah, right, whatever. Like we didn't do anything. So he takes his truck in to get evaluated. He goes to the police station, files a report against me. Now all of a sudden he's pressing charges and I have a day in court that this guy's saying that a rock the size of a golf ball jumped up and put a hole in his radiator behind like the front emblem of his truck three-fourths of the way to the top that is the size of that rock. So I somehow it traveled through other pieces of metal and whatever else and put a hole the size of the rock in his radiator and ruined it. This guy was such a liar. Everybody knew it. The judge knew it. My lawyer knew it. Whatever crackpot, you know, mechanic lied for him and said that that rock punctured the hole. He had a busted radiator and he wanted you know, $200 plus time and damages. He was trying to sue us for like, it was like small claims court or something like that. He was trying to sue us for, you know, 500 bucks or whatever. But in 1989, my mom, I can, you can go back. I can show you the social security statements. Grandma Susan made like, you know, four grand or whatever that year. That's like one eighth of her income. We didn't have that kind of money. And so Papu had friend, a friend that we used to sit next to at the hockey game. He happened to be a lawyer. I don't know if he practiced law, civil law, criminal law, anything. I mean, nothing really happens in Marquette. I don't know exactly what kind of lawyer he was. You know, drew up, I guess, things for businesses so they didn't get sued or something. You know, I don't know what he did. But he decided he would come and represent me on my behalf and in court. And it was like the first time that I can really remember like having a tie on and like really understanding that I did something wrong and I didn't ever want to be in this position again. And I had to be up there and I had to admit that I like, you know, I had lied when I had told the story originally, I had said that I kicked the rock and he said, you threw the rock. And I was like, yeah, I did throw the rock cause I was kicking rocks too, but you know, like in my brain, seven-year-old brain, kicking it sounded more like an accident. It didn't matter. The point was is that I had done it. 
So then I was like, yeah, I threw the rock. And the judge was like, the judge settled in my, in like his favor, but kind of really my favor. I remember like one of the things they did was, you know, they had, uh, I think my mom had to pay like 50 bucks, which I think that my grandparents or like somebody took care of. The guy didn't charge me for being there on my behalf legally really nice guy he always used to order dominoes like full dominoes pizzas at the hockey game and he'd have them delivered to his seat in the arena and he'd always like reach over and just put it in my lap and he's like yeah if, if i watch the game and one's missing it's fine you know c- kind of like his fun way of telling me i could have a slice of pizza so great it was the finkbiners really nice Corey finkbiner wife was a a teacher First grade teacher at the school, Mrs. Finkbeiner. Nice people. Although Miss Finkbeiner had a reputation of being a little mean. I think it was just the white hair. Pretty lady, but, you know, like a real stickler for the rules. Old school. Everybody was a stickler for the rules. Old school, small town, conservative. Come on. Stickler for the rules. They're all sticklers. Nice people, though. Corey Finkbeiner. Thank you, sir. It was scary, though going there and this guy like yelling at me and shouting in court that I like damaged his radiator with a rock. Like I just, I just remember everybody being like, this is the most ridiculous thing. There's no way that this rock one could have traveled through solid objects and then punctured his radiator. He's just looking to make money off of you and your mother. And I remember he got like, it was something, it was like nothing. It was, you know, $38. And especially, that was the other, that was the thing I think where the judge had said, because uh, there was like a photo of it. And there was a spot where you could see that the radiator had like tried to been, it had been, it, it had tried to been repaired in the same spot. So he knew when he saw that. So he said like, I think that's kind of, I'm trying to remember why we paid the 38 bucks, but I think that's what it was. It was like for the idea that if it did hit that spot, it was already damaged, but we were going to pay the $38 to have, which was the cost of it to be repaired again. Could have been 58, 38. It was some less amount of money than the $500 that we were showing up at court to potentially pay. And like I said, $500 at that time was like one eighth of my mom's yearly income. It was a lot of money. Yeah. Scary. Scary. Freaking out here, people. Freaking out. So kids, don't throw rocks at cars. Just be smart. You know, you could also just cause an accident. You can make somebody swerve when a rock like flies out and hits their windshield. Like I could have had way worse outcomes than just some crazy guy grabbed me by my arm and shouting in my face. Which we should have sued him. Like today, that would be like a hate crime. If an older white man grabbed my arm or grabbed the seven-year-old's arm and started shaking it, it would be front page on the Huffington Post. <laughs> it would be nuts the way this dude treated me. Screaming. Irate. Whew. Anyways, that's going to wrap it up. I went a little long this week. Lots to talk about. I'm in a feeling good in a great mood. My life is fantastic. My kids, I love you all. Uh, you know, I, I pray that you continue to just be such awesome, sweet, amazing people. 
best. Again, come find me if you if I'm still around and you're listening to this. Share a story with me. Tell me about a time that you may have lied to me. You know, statue of limitations. If it was long enough ago, I mean, obviously, if it was like a half hour ago, keep that one to yourself for a couple more years. But if you're like, oh yeah, I remember I told you about this, but I really this is what really happened 20 years ago. Now let's do it. Let's talk about it. Love you guys all so much. My wife. The best. The best, 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 best. I love my wife so much. I wish she knew how much I loved her. I can't. There's no like way to measure or to like show her. You know? You just. I think she gets it. I hope she gets it. Okay, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, until next Thursday. But everybody has a fantastic weekend fantastic week finding ways to learn from our mistakes focus on positivity don't stay down for that long we're all gonna hit hit little dips try and get back to even enjoy the enjoy the high enjoy the ride up i don't know if that made any sense any sense probably not super profound (laughs) love you kids I'll talk to you next Thursday until then peace